This is the Stop Recovering, Start Living podcast. Episode number 13, Contemplations on Death. Um, let's see if I can do this one. So, I'm not talking about generalities regarding death today. I'm speaking specific to my personal experience. Um, my father passed away five days ago from a sudden heart attack, and we are living through that experience, something new for us. Um, so I thought that I would talk about that. Maybe equally um, therapeutic for me as potentially helpful for somebody else. We'll see. Um, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing on my phone here. Hang on. Push that button. Is this still recording? <laughs> I think it is. Okay. Um, so... Uh, it's interesting. Last last week, so he, he he died on the tenth, and then sometime on I guess the eighth or ninth, and a couple days before that, I was in a session, or I was talking to a friend of mine. I can't remember what conversation it was, and we were talking about death and the impact on some on people. And this is something I've been doing this counseling thing for six years now, and death has been prominent in that um had a few clients that have passed away um during that stretch and a lot of people i've known through this field i mean i, I, didn't, I didn't work directly with um but when you're, when you're dealing with substance use there's a lot of overdose deaths along the way um but the conversation is you know it comes up a lot like some people are really devastated when they lose somebody, obviously, and that's perfectly healthy. Um, but that happens, and but it was something that for me as an observer was hard for me to understand, and so over the years I've thought, why is that? And you know, so I've I've always had um, a pretty set belief system in the purpose of life and you know everything from where do we come from, why are we here, where are we going, the the church I used to affiliate with answered those questions, and I believed those things. And now, over the last couple of years, as my um, understanding, awareness, and beliefs have expanded or changed or morphed, evolved, whatever you want to call it, into where I am now, a lot of a lot of those same um, elements exist. I've kept a lot of that. Um, some of the you know, the the, the Religious affiliation has changed, but some of the beliefs I, I feel are, you know, what, what I would call true principles. I, I can't prove them, and I don't need to prove them. But for me, because it doesn't matter, because for me it's true, and so that's that's good enough. But the point being that uh, I feel very confident in that. I always have that, you know, with what what happens to the the soul, the spirit, 
the eternal part of us that is us, the I am, the me. And so I always, I would look at, look at people's situations and think, how is it so difficult for them? Even not, not even necessarily when someone dies, but just the potential for it. And I've heard so many times people, I don't know what would happen, what I'll do if my mom dies or if my grandmother dies or, you know, someone who was influential and raised them essentially, you know, what would I, I don't know how I'll, I'll function. I don't, you know, I, I'm sober now, but I don't know what I'd do if, you know, and, and so I, would, I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't, I hadn't experienced it, so it's hard for me to, as an observer, understand that. And so I would often have that conversation with people, you know, I don't know what it would be like. I've, I've had three of my uncles have passed away, my dad's brothers, um, and all four of my grandparents. And then, like I said, I've had clients die, I've had friends die. <clears throat> you know, and some in tragic ways. Um, you know, many early in life. Um... So my my brother and his wife lost a, a baby at birth, so that this is you know we've had this experience, but um, I I often you know nothing had seemed to touch me in a way that I was seeing other people experience it, and so I didn't didn't understand it. But again, you know, so in this conversation recently, like I've had before, is I don't know what I'll, I don't know what it'll be like until I'm there, and you know I said, you know, until one of my parents dies. I, I might not, or, you know, someone, my, my wife or children, then I might not really understand what people are going through. And, uh, so, two days later, I have that experience, and so now I kind of know. I mean, at least I know it through my experience. Again, we're all going to experience these things differently, and that's where this episode may or may not be useful to anybody else, uh, maybe just useful to me, but, who knows, I think as we learn, as we share experiences with each other, we can hear different perspectives and that's always helpful for us so I don't even know what I want to talk about but I just felt like there was something I wanted to talk about so there was that conversation that you know I've had it so many times I can't say it was foreshadowing or preparing me or, or, or something like that maybe it was but I've had that conversation a lot but a few days earlier than that last Tuesday a week ago Tuesday today's Thursday I guess I don't know. so a couple days before uh, that, um, I was walking home from work, and I'm not sure what sparked the, the thought in my mind, but I was, was contemplating on what I feel is the futility of funerals, and, well, not, not the funeral itself, but, like, the expenses, it's so expensive, I don't know what got me on that mindset, now I know firsthand what, how expensive it can be, but just the idea that, because uh, for me, and this is my belief, you know, so it's not, I'm not saying anybody else should think this way or not, but, or whatever, but, like, the, the spirit exists and is the life in the body. The body is, is important, but it's temporary. It's a vessel, I think. I think it's an important vessel, but it's a vessel. And, uh, it allows us to do so many things and to gain the experience that we're here to gain, but when it's done, it's done. And, you know, our body is constantly changing. It's not ever, there's no static part to our bodies. Our, even our hearts are replaced cellularly over what is, I think it's, it's a long time, like 20 years maybe? I don't remember the stats on that or, or the, you know, whatever. 
but our organs are replaced. Our con every every cell in our body is constantly, not constantly, I guess, but replicating and uh, being replaced. My my brother-in-law said the other day said like, at thirty-six days, all of our skin is replaced. All of our skin is new. Um, but you know, our hair is constantly growing and falling out and being cut. Our fingernails and our toenails are cut and discarded and. Yeah, and th that stuff is part of us for a time, but it's not us. And so the body is part of us. Is a, is a part of us. And we're, you know, something something is different in our culture and our beliefs, where the 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 lot of it is more important than you know, these little bits and pieces, I guess, that fall off and get used up, or you know, you have your appendix out, or your teeth fall out, and all these things. The the body is temporary. And it's not. We don't save all of these bits and pieces and and collect them up and bury them together. It's just part of, you know, we're of the earth. The vessel is of the earth and it will stay in the earth. The, the, this vessel of the physical body is, it belongs to the earth. And it will stay with the earth. But our awareness, and I don't know where that comes from or why, but I believe there's a purpose behind it. And that, I believe, continues on. And that's the important thing. So our awareness is what gathers the experience, collects all the experience. Our awareness is what builds relationships and learns. And that continues on. That doesn't get left behind. So, it's just this, all these funeral arrangements and costs and stuff. And my family's pretty private in a lot of ways and shy and not comfortable in uh when i say my family my uh my parents and my, me and my siblings there's six of us in the six kids in the family and uh so it was at us we all have you know, most of us so one of the things my mom said that she and my dad talked about wanting to achieve before one of them or both of them went uh was to see all of their kids married or at least the, the marriable ones um, and so all of us all of us made it except for the youngest she's uh, scheduled to be married next month so he's almost there so close but dad got to meet him meet, meet her fiance before I know, a couple about a month or so ago so I think that's great that he got to got to meet him even if he doesn't get to be there for the wedding he wasn't at my wedding. He was home with my other one, my my youngest brother Scott, who is autistic, classic autism. So that's why I say the marryable ones. Uh, Scott is a two. You know, my brother's writing wrote this in a post. A two year old in a thirty two year old's body is pretty much not how how Scott is, and uh, that's been a tough part with this because we don't we're not really sure what his awareness is. Um, he can't communicate with us, so clearly. Uh, or he doesn't. So, when mom told him what happened, he just kind of walked by, walked by and, and went back to his uh, his tablet and watched videos, which is his normal behavior. So, and then he, he doesn't seem to be acting out of sorts this week. So, not really sure how this is impacting him. That's that's difficult, but uh, he doesn't seem to be in pain over it. So that's a relief. Um, but so Scott. We he's with my parents, or he was gonna be with somebody for his whole life. So he will continue on with mom now, 
and um, um, yeah, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, so one of the goals was that they see everybody married, and so four of us are Scott is a draw, and uh, my youngest sister will be soon. Um, so yeah, so we're private people. That's what I was talking about. We're private people. We're not going to have a funeral, uh, partly because of the coronavirus, brave new world rules. Um, but that's a convenient excuse for us to not have to do one because we're not into that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been amazing, the outpouring of support and love that we're getting from everybody, which we're grateful for, very appreciative of, very humbled by, um, but, you know, we can, we can take it in small doses and phone calls and emails and text messages, those are all very welcome, but, um, to be in a room with dozens of people who are also saddened by my dad's death and, you know, hugging and crying and stuff, that can be overwhelming for people a little shy or introverted or however you want to call it like we are. So it's kind of a uh, blessing in disguise to not really be able to have a funeral because of gathering restrictions. Um, but we're going to be doing, we'll have a, a funeral or graveside service, whatever, a brief thing. Um, my dad served in the Navy from 1968 to 1972. He's very patriotic and very involved with politics and he loved America and so there, there will be that we're, we were able to get him into a veteran cemetery and they'll have an honor guard which I think would be something he really wanted he and my mom didn't really talk about funeral arrangements so um, I would encourage you to do that I should do that I mean everybody should do that because uh, otherwise my family's left wondering what's up but so that's a good thing and life insurance is a good thing too get that so um but um so that'll be that'll be a tear-jerking experience i'm sure next friday we'll do the internment and uh do the honor guard but that'll be good so we'll have a small little thing there with, with our family um you know, I, and i i get that other people you know funeral is not just for us it's for everybody who knew him and there's a lot of people that knew him so i understand that but i don't know hopefully people understand um and maybe i don't and anybody who wants to have a memorial for him is welcome to so <laughs> if people need to then please do but um for now we're gonna we're sticking with our family stuff i don't know so but it's been it's been an interesting experience uh overall not expected one of the, the the big thing for me i think i, I feel like i you know it was, it was shocking um to hear what happened i went right over to my mom's house and uh you know he, whatever i'll get into details but it was it was shocking to hear about it. i feel like i was in shock uh, of course for a while um emotionally and physically and it was interesting how um throughout that first day his family kind of gathered and there was a lot of phone calls and we were all talking and, and trying to, you know, I, I was just like, my mind went to what do we need to do to figure out, find, well, part of that, I guess, was probably like my mom, you know, she said that, um, 
you know, I don't even know how to do these things or whatever, and I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to do this without them and all that, you know. And so I guess my my immediate response was, well, let's figure out how to do those things. Let's fix it. Um, and so that's, that was probably what put me into that mode. But I was just, I, but I also thought maybe it was for to, in, in order to distract myself so I didn't have to accept what happened or to really think about what happened or allow it to be real. I remember kept kept thinking like, okay, well, where's dad all, all day Saturday? Or well, what is, what's dad going to think about this decision that we made or whatever? Um, and then I have to think, oh, well, he's everywhere or nowhere. He's not here. He's not going to, you know, if he's got an opinion on it, I don't know how I'm going to hear it from him. So, so that, that was, that first day was tough. Um, but um, I was I was sad, but not. I keep saying sad, but not devastated. It's the only way I can think of it. Like, I'm sad. I'm still sad about it, but not. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of my life. And so, like, my body was, my body was sad. Um, I, you know, every, I called my brother and my sister, or one of my one of my brothers and one of my sisters. Um, right after, or as I was on my way up to my mom's house, and, and, and so I told them, and, and as soon as I heard them, heard them answer the phone, I broke down, I couldn't, you know, barely talk, um, and, you know, I, so I talked to my brother first, and then by the time I was able to talk clearly with him for a bit, then he was going to call mom, and I got off the phone and called our other sister, and then, um, then as soon as I heard her answer the phone, I broke down again, and couldn't talk, you know, so it was like, and then when I saw my other sister later on that day, you know, I choked up again. And it was like every time I talked to somebody new that day, um, then uh, it got that flood of emotion. And I think it has to do with the energy that, you know, we, we all share an energy, uh, energy. We all have an energy field. And when we're in close proximity or when we're in communication with somebody, even via phone, through hundreds of miles might be in between us, I, I, I think that that energy field still connects somehow. And then you can feel what they're feeling. You experience it with them. This is why it's so important to to keep people around you, make it relevant to the topic of the podcast here for a second, you know, uh, overcoming addiction with people, places, and things. That phrase gets thrown out there because it's, it's just a phrase now. It's a catchphrase kind of thing in the industry. But it's important because there's energy. We have energy and other people have energy. And if we have people around us whose energy isn't lining up with what we want our energy to be, then one of us is going to change to resonate with the other one. And if we're not strong in what we're, what we're doing, what our energy is, then there's a chance that we're going to vibrate to either up or down to the other person's energy. And it could be good or bad, but it's a challenge. So it's important to maintain a... Maintain, um, surrounding of people and things that keeps our energy where we want it to be. So that was something I learned from this, that um, our, we're on an unconscious level, there is something that's going on with us when we're interacting with other people that we can't control. And then something, something physical, that our bodies are aware of something that we might not be mentally aware of, like our minds not be aware of. Because that's, that's what I felt like. Like, I was sad, but I felt like I had an understanding of what happened. This wasn't something that, you know, oh, how could this happen to me kind of thing. 
because this is this is part of life. People die. My dad was almost 72. He had a heart attack six years ago. Um, while he was in pretty good shape for him, he was he was a little he was a little overweight in the gut, and you know who knows what's going on there. But he, in his belly, all his organs and things, and his heart and his arteries. But he'd been doing a lot to take care of, uh, to to improve his diet. Um, but you know, having an autistic child is stressful. At least for my parents, it was uh, with classic classic autism always being aware of what Scott was doing and all that. It's impacted their sleep. They didn't sleep well. Neither one of my parents slept well for forever. Um, and that will catch up to you eventually. And so these things, while sudden, it wasn't necessarily unexpected. And so I felt like it was something that, you know, while I didn't want it to happen, I knew that it, it was part of life. And yet, I hear I was still sobbing at times. I was looking for the checkbook um, and was going through the drawers around his little computer desk area and uh, it was interesting. Some things my dad was meticulous about and everything was labeled and organized and other things was a mess. And I, you know, um, I'm seeing a lot of things and I'm taking this look at him. Like a friend of mine pointed out, well, well now he's not in the way of seeing him. Like you know, that see the forest for the trees kind of thing. Like, I couldn't see my dad for my dad because he was in the way. It's like, as, when he was alive, he was there. And I saw him, and I interacted with him in his presentation um, of himself. But now that he's gone, I'm seeing him in a more candid uh, candid way where, you know, I'm looking through his drawer and I'm seeing his guitar string and banjo picks and you know, little tools and candies and whatever, you know, all this stuff in his little junk drawer kind of thing. He's looking for his checkbook. And you know, I opened that drawer and saw all these things, and uh, I was crying so much I couldn't have seen. If the checkbook was in there, I wouldn't have seen it anyway. And uh, so I had these little moments all day, maybe Sunday too, a little bit, where my body would just become overwhelmed on this you know, flood of feeling, and it hit me. And in my mind, I was still, I was at peace in my mind and still calm, but um, but my body was experiencing something. So that was. Uh, new and interesting part of this. And then, after a couple days, I felt kind of just blank. And I realized that um, my mind was not racing like it typically is. And I've had this a, a few times, a few different things I've found that has caused this effect in me. Um, one of them was when I, was, when I had a Reiki session performed on me, uh, or participated in Reiki. I get this mental clarity where I can think, I can sit, and I can just sit, and there's no thoughts, there's no thoughts going on. And meditation has done that for me as well. And so I think that the, the shock of this experience shocked my brain, which makes sense, um, you know, because when you, when you think about shock, so the brain is electrical, and a shock, it, like, you know, like a defibrillator on a heart, it shocks it. it sends that current in there, makes it happen, it makes it move again, and pumps it, and so maybe, it's like, I got a, defi <laughs> I got a defibrillator in my brain with this, with this shock of losing my dad, and uh, so it's, but it, I don't know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but it, so it was just like, this clarity though, so it existed, and then I watched uh, a video from uh, Muji, like a, a yogi or guru or uh, enlightened wisdom person, teacher, I don't know what you call him.
people that I was watching the video on YouTube, a friend sent, a friend sent to me uh, on, on death and grief, and he said that something to the effect of grief is like water. you got to let it flow. If you, if, you, if you suppress water and it stagnates, then that's no good. you got to let it flow until it's done running when, you know, let it run, at, run its course. And with grief, you got to let grief run its course. And if that means it's for a day or for a, month, a week or a month, that's okay, whatever it takes for you. you got to let the grief run its course. If you don't let grief run its course, it stagnates like water, and that's no good because that's stagnant. When water doesn't move, that's death. When water moves, that's life. Um, so we have to allow it. And so, and I, and I feel like I did pretty, you know, like I kept thinking like I'm distracting myself by trying to take care of these, these financial affairs or what's the next step in these different things, um, the practical logistics. I feel like I was distracting myself, but I didn't, for me, maybe that was just the way I, I needed to process it. And that was my way of flowing through this. Because I do feel like I didn't, I didn't try to hold back the grief. I didn't tell anybody to not feel what they were feeling. I didn't try to tell myself to not feel what I was feeling. Um, maybe I tried to muffle my crying a little bit because I didn't want to sob and scream out loud and stuff like that. I guess I might have held that back a little bit. But I didn't stop myself. I just tried to, I don't know, control it. I don't know. Um, but, and then so Muji said, after the grief flows, then comes the silence. And I thought, okay, well, that's, that's where I am. And I thought, hmm, it was three days, is that too short of a time to grieve? But, um, I don't, you know, whatever, we're all going to be different on it. And I, I don't think there's any, there's no standard for it. We're just, you know, we're going to experience what we experience. And maybe I'll hit some new, uh, grief sure there'll be time moments in the future where I'm gonna, you know, next time my car starts making noise and I think oh, I gotta call dad and see what's up. I might have a, a moment of tearing up or something breaks in my house and I think oh, dad knows how to fix this. Um, then I'll have a hard time, but like right now, it's almost making me lose control. Thinking about that. Uh, so... I'm sure those things will happen in the future, and then as they come, I'll, I'll allow them. Um, another quote that was I've been seeing on Instagram a lot over the last couple of weeks um, and has proven relevant is that when sadness comes, we need to invite it in and sit with it and experience it and let it be there. And then when we're done with it, when, it, you know, when, we've, when we've done all we need to with that sadness, we can stand up and say goodbye and leave it behind. And I think that's, I think that's where I am. Um, so there will probably be moments when the sadness will come back for a visit. But overall, um, I've grieved, at least for now. And I've hit that silence where I'm waiting for the next element of life, the next life lesson, the next challenge, whatever's, whatever comes next. And I'm prepared for it. Kind of like in the movie Inside Out. That movie is good. If you haven't seen it, watch it. The Disney Pixar, they were one of their combos, I think. Um, but it's, in the movie, you have uh, different emotions represented by characters and they're taking place in this uh, little girl's brain. Her family moved, and so she's experiencing the frustrations of moving. And uh, yeah, the, emo the feelings in her brain are. Um, doing whatever they're doing, but it's it's a cute story. 
Like some of those things, I don't think you know. I don't have a lot of hope for a lot of those movies, but um, and then that one being on brain, it's like, oh yeah, I studied the brain. I know about the brain. Uh, and then it was good. I liked it. I, I've re referenced it before. I think it's it was well done. Um, but the 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 like the main point of the story is like the character Joy, who seems to be running the show, um, and the character Sadness, which is voiced by Phyllis from The Office, which is fantastic. She did a great job in that. Um, so Sadness is, is viewed as kind of the villain. She's making the, the core memories turn sad. Um, but by the end, Joy realizes that that's actually an important element, that in order to experience the joy, it needs to be an experience of sadness. And the two can exist together, so the core memories I don't want to blow the ending for you. I already gave too much. But it's a good movie. Um, and so that's, I think that's the way to look at sadness is that, yeah, maybe we, we're not, we don't want it, but um, it's important for us. And it helps us to find meaning in life. So sometimes it's necessary to sit with the sadness and experience it. And then on the other end, there's peace. We let it run its course. When we let nature do its thing, what it needs to do, then there's peace. So death is challenging. I know, and now I have more of a experience with it. Hopefully, it makes me more understanding, and I can help people as they're experiencing it. But it's still such a unique and personal thing, and it's difficult because I can't say, "Well, I went through it, so why don't you just do this, and then you'll be okay." Or I would never think to say, oh, I, I grieved for two days and then I moved on. You should do the same. I know it doesn't work like that. and I would never try to push that on anybody. Um, but I think the important thing is that we accept what it is because we can't change it. It's part of life. Being sad is okay. Um, but we're still living. That's what I think about that. That's been my last week's experience. So I wanted to do this for me, um, and maybe if it's of any benefit to anybody else. But it was nice for me to say it. So thank you for listening. And lucky episode number 13, season 2. There it is. I've had some irreverent humor. I, you, you develop that, I guess, when you work with people. You, know, you always hear about police officers and EMTs and soldiers having a dark, jaded, um, inappropriate sense of humor. I think for some reason substance abuse counselors pick that up too to some extent. Is anybody that I mean, comedy is a healing thing. Fun, you know, humor is, is healing, I think. It's very healing and um, it's often tragic. And so anyone who's dealing with the human condition in its extremities and, and in, in tragedy and trauma... I think needs to, well, you don't need it, but I think benefits from a, a sense of humor. And so sometimes maybe that's not always the most appropriate thing to. So you gotta know your, you gotta know your audience. You gotta know the context of where you're in. But um, I'm, I'm okay with laughing at some things and making some jokes. And so, yeah. Anyway, that's it for episode 13. Stop recovering. Start living. Um, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.